Our scripture reading for the sermon text this morning is in our order of worship and is found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in the vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. I always enjoy and am blessed by the music here. You ever had one of those Sundays, though, where the music just carries you? Uh, this music this morning carried me, not just the melodies, but the words were just so spot on with where we're going with this. So I thank everybody who's involved with that, including you with your wonderful singing. It's a scandalous thing, this grace. And you know this story, so let's get right to it. Let's talk, first of all, about the scandalous math. You know what's going on here. A landowner goes and invites some workers to go work in his field, and he does so at the crack of dawn, probably around 6 a.m. Then he goes back and invites more people at 9 a.m., invites even more people at noon, and then even more at 3. He says, why haven't you been out there? Well, nobody's hired us. Well, get out there. And finally, he invites some people to work in the vineyard at 5 p.m. close to quitting time. And at quitting time, he lines them up to pay them what he agreed to pay them, which was a day's wage. And he starts with those who were there at 5 o'clock, and he pays them a day's wage. And no doubt those who had been there since 6 a.m. are thinking, this is great. I'm going to get 12 times that. But he pays everybody the same. What's going on here? Is this a way to run a business? It's certainly not fair. It just doesn't line up with the norms of our day. But no, it's what Philip Yancey calls the scandalous mathematics 
of grace. One of the reasons some people don't get this story is that they're starting at the wrong place. I mean, one of our foundational norms, I would say, is that, you know, you get paid a day's wage for how much you did in a day. You know, you do a day's work for a day's wage. If you don't, you won't get it. But if you read it that way and understand it that way, you're not understanding it because you read this parable with a business mindset, you got it all wrong. It's not about good economics or good business or, or good labor laws. No, it's a story about God and his kingdom. It's a story of this strange and scandalous God. So let's talk about this scandalous God, secondly. He says to one of the, one of the workers... The owner of the vineyard says to one of the workers, let's look at that, verses 13 through 15. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? As Tim was reading this, by the way, I thought, man, there's a real echo of this with the parable of the lost son thinking of the elder brother isn't there frederick sampson the great african-american uh, preacher from detroit said if you ask the wrong question it will put you on the wrong quest and he's right the wrong question is why were they all paid the same because naturally we're going to gravitate toward that question the correct question is why am i paid with god's grace at all that's the real question you know, Jesus says this story is not about things of this world. It is counter to this world. It is about God the Father's world. And in God the Father's world, God is king. And what is the most important thing to the king in his kingdom? That we can summarize in one word. You can go right to it with the word grace. And here's the deal, even when we scratch our heads and wonder about this whole affair, it seems unfair. But Jesus wants us to see that the landowner was not being fair. He was being generous. He was, as it says in this translation, he was being kind. It wasn't about merit. I loved what we sang there, Keith. Where are you, Keith? Is, did he sneak out already? Where is he? Okay, I never know. I always have no grant grace to him as you know but i love the last line of that song that we sang to come thou fount where it says once you begin to measure grace it isn't grace that was beautiful but that's what we can tend to do much like the elder brother and it's not about merit it's about compassion it's about compassion he gave each worker a day's worth of wage that could take care of him and his family and if you look at that in verse 15, do you see that last line there? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? The word there is agathos for kind, agathos. It, it means kindness on the part of the possessor that he or she imparts upon somebody else, and it's unconditional, never changing, always consistent. It is never affected by mood or circumstances or the worth or the lack of worth of the person who is being shown that kindness, agathos. And aren't we blessed that God is kind in that way to you and me, regardless of what we've done, regardless of the fact that we don't deserve it at all, and yet he offers it to us. So what are we to do? We're to spread that scandalous grace to others as a scandalous church. We're called to get other people and tell them, get in there. 
Come join us in the vineyard. Bring others in. So finally, we're called to be a scandalous church. And I want to spend most of our time here because a lot of times we don't talk enough about this. Look at verses 6 and 7. I'm backtracking here. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again, the landowner, and saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. And he basically says, get in there. We want you in there. We want you in the vineyard. That is what we as the church are supposed to be doing. The grace of this landowner is scandalous by the world's standards, granting grace to all people equally and not parsing it out based on what we think someone deserves it with. Again, talk about measuring it. It makes no sense to us, though. But the kingdom is not of this world. It is counter to this world. And so often we find ourselves as the church doing things that other people might think is a waste of time, not worth it, perhaps naive. I was thinking earlier this week, you know, the, the two most important things I did this past week, most memorable things, and definitely the two most important things. Now, I worked hard, I did some strategizing and some meetings, uh, I, I handled some financial things, budget things, uh, you know, worked around the house, did some important things, but the two most significant things, one of them was here just this last Sunday, and, and I don't know, is Hope Sims in here? Hope, are you in here? Raise your hand if you're in here. Not in here? Okay, that, well, Hope, okay. Did you know I was going to talk about you? Did your grandmama say that? Okay, is it grandmama? Is that what you call her? Yeah, that's what I thought. Grandmama, Denise Sims. But one of, the, one of the two most important things I did this last week, remember when you came up this last week and I prayed with you for your mom who's battling cancer? And I'll never forget that. And you did it in such an unabashed way. that I mean, it's what we're supposed to do as church. And then it was pretty cool, wasn't it? Like after the service, a bunch of people came over here and prayed over you because they love you so much and were like wanting to pray for her. And looking back uh, on the week, I thought, that's, that's one of the most important things I did this week. Now, some people out there would say, oh, that's a, what would they, they, they would call it a scandalous naivete, right? They would call, oh, that, that's really, you know, a waste of time and kind of embarrassing and this kind of thing. But we know better. We know better. You know, we think counter to what the world out there would say is most important. The other thing, those of you who remember Austin and Kelsey Kime, who are down in Cape Town now, they are getting their um, ministry jump-started now for kids who are battling addictions. And it's just, it's wrenching when you read about what they are up against. Uh, they are minister, ministering to kids uh, who, as early as eight years old, are, are hooked on some drug. Some of them have, have tested positive for up to three drug addictions eight years old, and Austin and Kelsey are working with kids, I think mainly around 11 years old, who are battling this, and they're going to do everything they can to show them an alternative way to live and, and give them some practical advice, practical tools, uh, uh, you know, help them have better school attendance, have better behavior, get better grades, help them emotionally. And, and socially, and that, that's what they're about. And it's not going to be easy. They're going to have them a good bit of the day, but then they do go back into that difficult world in the township 
Uh, I think most of them are from the township of uh, Ocean, uh, Ocean View, which is a tough one. Uh, yeah, there's a picture of part of it right there. And there's no view of the ocean, by the way, but it's called Ocean View, and it, it's a tough, tough area. And, and it makes no sense to other people, but the other moment of this past week was when we were with the staff uh, uh, at our usual meeting at 1.30 on Tuesday, and we had just gotten word that uh, Kelsey and, and Austin were getting ready to start ministering to these kids and get them into this program and try to get them unhooked away from drugs and not just that to show them the grace of jesus and so we were given the names of these nine fellas and and so a different person took one of those names and we prayed over them for a time <coughs> names including fernando and kenwin and mcneil and mikhail and mikhail and richard and storm and taswell and tyrese now, just doing this makes no sense to some people in the vineyard who have been even invited into the vineyard. You know, these kids, you might think their situation is hopeless, that, that maybe these kids, you might think that they are worthless or this is just a waste of time. But again, we know better. And so as we prayed for them, you know, in doing so, again, when we do such things, again, we do that no doubt in the hopes that some good will come out of this for each and every one of them. But also what we are doing is glorifying the God who loves each and every one of them as if they were the only one in the world to love. And we are confessing that incredible unconditional love of our God for each and every one of them. His kindness toward them in the vineyard. Those are the two most important things I did, and, and I'm not saying that to build myself up. I'm saying other people helped lead me to that. But that's what we are called to do. We're called to be a scandalous church imparting scandalous grace to a broken world. And, and we're called to savor this grace now and bring others into the vineyard and give thanks for it daily, remember, you know, every day is a gift. What our, our friend down the road at St. Luke's, uh, John Claypool, used to say, life is, anybody know? Life is gift. Life is gift. And not just that. Someone else said, you know, you should live every hour as if it is the 11th hour, as if it is almost your last hour. And you know what? You can make a missional mandate out of that and, and, and think that, you know, as I go out and reach out to people, I need to reach out to them as if it is my 11th hour and theirs as well. And sometimes it is. came across an interesting story in the Chicago Tribune by Elizabeth Diffin. It was called Last Minute Ministry. It was a pastor named Chuck Kent who was asked to go and just visit a guy who was 92 years old in the terminal ward of a hospital. And the guy's name was Elwin, and, and uh, Elwin was dying. And Chuck went in there and said, Hi, my name is Chuck. Someone asked me to come see you. Oh, great. Well, what do you want to talk about? Well, I was thinking this. Could I tell you a story that Jesus told? He said, Some people call it the laborers in the vineyard. I call it uh, the story of the 11th hour. And the guy said, Sure. And he shared the story of this parable with this guy who was in his own 11th hour. And he said, Elwin, you know... You're kind of, it'd be fair to say, you're in your 11th hour, and I just want to know, how would you feel about praying to receive Christ into your life? 
And he didn't do it immediately, but after a time, as they kept talking, Elwin said, yes, I would like, I would like to do that. I would like to receive Christ. And he prayed over him. And a week later, Elwin had died, and, and they asked Chuck, the family asked Chuck to do the funeral service, and there were some 100 family members there who were very impacted by what Chuck had to say. This whole thing began to, to uh, have a ripple effect where the hospital gave him uh, permission to go back up to the terminal ward and go talk to other people. And he would go in, and at some point, at the right chirotic moment, he, he would say, can, can I tell you a story that Jesus told? I call it the story of the 11th hour. And he would tell them, not in a frightening way, but just to say, man, you've been invited. You still have an opportunity and would love to have you in there, and you'll receive the grace that he offers equally to everybody. And within the first month, he went and visited 15 people because, I mean, he had other people to minister to, but he got in to see 15 people, and of them, eight people received Jesus because of this story that he told. And one of them was a comatose person, by the way. Uh, he was comatose. He could not see. He could not speak. But... Uh, Chuck took his hand and he kept saying as he was sharing the story, do you hear what I'm saying? And, and, and the man would just squeeze his hand. He would go on and tell the story some more. Do you understand what, what I'm saying? And then he gave an interpretation saying, you know, this is all about this, this marvelous grace that God gives that you can't measure and it's there freely for everybody, all the same. He loves you and wants to give it to you as if you were the only person that he ever had the chance to give it to. Do you understand? And eventually, they prayed a prayer together, and, and Chuck would stop after every phrase and, and let the guy squeeze his hand. He understood, and he died two hours later, entered eternity, entered the ultimate banquet. Now, some would call this offensive. Some would call this a waste of time. Some would call it hopeless. Some would call it inauthentic which I like, Chuck said in response to that, well, you know, people on the terminal floor are a lot more realistic about eternity, and I think he's right. Yeah, they were 11th hour, dying people at their 11th hour, making 11th hour decisions, 11th hour sinners being granted that grace just like you and me. Just like you and me. And we need to show others that scandalous grace, um, Wow, this was unforgettable this week, too, and I bet most of you saw this scandalous video this past week where Brent Jean was forgiving Amber Geiger. Amber, as you know, entered what she thought was her apartment and saw Brent's brother, uh, Botham Jean, uh, and, and she shot him. Thinking he was an intruder, she shot Botham, and Brent Jean sat through all of the trial, and Amber was found guilty. She was sentenced. And then Brandt asked for the opportunity to speak directly to Amber. And let's take a look at this. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And 
I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. heavy depiction of grace. Uh, some are already criticizing it. It's scandalous. And I understand those who say, well, it underscores what I feel like is an expectation of African Americans to uh, be expected to forgive instantly non-African American assailants. I, I understand, I can say, I can understand as best I know how to understand that sentiment, but, but none of that forgiveness that he just showed her minimizes the gravity of what Amber did, nor does it change the sentence she received and the guilt, the weight of guilt that she is carrying and the guilt that she was found to have. Some were even complaining, well, he shouldn't have forgiven her at all anyway. She didn't deserve it. Um, probably not, but, but neither do we. <laughs> Yet we were given a chance to be in the vineyard as well. The whole thing is so scandalous. It's so other than the way the world would see it. And yet I sensed a light from this young man that was amazing. But that's what we're called to be about, and it's our way of making room for whosoever into the vineyard. Mark Rutland wrote a wonderful book called Streams of Mercy, Receiving and Reflecting God's Grace, and he recalled an, an actual survey of Americans who were asked, what words would you most love to hear? And, and <laughs> he was not surprised at all uh, with number one, it was, I love you. Number two, you could predict, which was, uh, I forgive you. The third one caught him off guard a little bit till he thought about it, but it was supper's ready. Isn't that great? <laughs> supper's ready. And, and Mark said, you know, in a way, that's a neat summary of the gospel story. God loves you. God forgives you. God gives you a place at the banquet. 
And one day we will have a place at the banquet forever. But until then, let's keep working in the vineyard and getting more people in, no matter who they are, no matter what they perpetrated, no matter what their values are at present, no matter how hopeless they might seem, like uh, you know, a boy named Storm or Tyrese in, in Ocean View. Let's keep laboring for them and invite them to the vineyard. Oh Lord, we ask that we would be vessels of grace like Brant obviously was, like others have been. We ask that you infuse us with that scandalous naivete that is outlandish enough to believe that indeed <laughs> the tomb is empty and this world is yours and that there is power in the words we share about you and the acts we partake of in order to let people see you through us. Make us agents of that amazing grace. We pray these things in your name. Amen.